thank you that you are a solid foundation that we can build our lives on. You give us promises in Scripture, promises through Christ, that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that you are working out everything in our lives for our good and for your glory. And God, now as we open your word and see what you have to say to us today, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us through your spirit and through your word, that we may build our lives even more on the solid foundation of Christ and of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In America today, there is no shortage of Bibles. There was a survey done of Americans back uh, just last year in 2011 that indicated that 90% of households in America own at least one Bible. And on top of that, on top of the 90% of the households who own a Bible, if you take every Bible that Americans own, not, not including Bibles in stores, but just Bibles that Americans own, and average that over the total number of households in America today, there are on average four Bibles in every house. Not every Bible, not every house has a Bible, but if you take all the Bibles that people own, many of us probably own multiple Bibles, and average those over all the households in America, there are on average about four Bibles per household. So there is certainly no shortage of Bibles in America today. The question, though, is not how many Bibles do we have or what type of Bible do we have. The question is how much does this Bible that we have get into our lives? Does it really make a difference in our lives? Because God doesn't care that much. Do you have a Bible? Or what type of Bible do you have? Or do you say you like the Bible? But he cares about how much this Bible makes a difference in our lives. If you watch the opening ceremonies of the Olympics on Friday night, you saw that the Queen of England played a, a prominent and kind of humorous role in the opening ceremonies. It's been said that the Bible is very much like the Queen of England. The Queen of England has a top position in England is revered by many people. But the Queen of England has very little real power to wield in England. Top position, but little power. And for some people, the Bible is that same way. Where the Bible has a top position in their lives, they, they say that the Bible is incredibly important. They may have the Bible in a prominent place in their house. They would get upset if someone starts speaking badly about the Bible or questioning the authority or the reliability of Scripture. But then comes the question, does the Bible have any real authority in your life? Is it really soaking into you, making a difference? Because again, God intends that the Bible isn't just something that we revere or say that we like or defend, but that the Bible really makes a difference in our day-to-day lives. Today I want to turn our attention to a passage out of Psalms, uh, Psalms in Psalm chapter 1. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is one in the pew or the chair in front of you. We're looking today at Psalm 1, which is a passage of Scripture that talks a lot about being passionate about God's Word. Not just about um, revering God's Word, but about making God's Word a significant part of your life. Today we're in the fifth of six weeks of the text message series. Text message is all about what we believe about the Bible and why we believe it. Uh, the first week we talked about the inspiration of Scripture, about how God spoke through human authors to bring God's Word in a human language that we can understand. The second week, we talked about canonization, which is about how do we get the 66 books which are in the Bible. Third week, we talked about the transmission and translation of the Bible, about how the Bibles that we hold in our hands today are extremely reliable in comparison with the original manuscripts 
of what God wrote through the human authors so many years ago. Then last week we talked about the topic that's called illumination, which is how God has given us the Holy Spirit to, to drive the Bible, the, the content of the Bible home in our own lives, helping it make sense to us, helping show us that it's true, but even more than that, helping impact us with the reality that the Bible should have implications on our, day, on our daily lives. And today and next week we're going even deeper in terms of how the Bible should really be a part of our day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives. So I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read Psalm 1, uh, all six verses of it. It's not long, but we're going to read the whole thing. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water, which bears its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As I said, this is a psalm that talks a lot about passion for God's word. And that's really what we're going to focus in on today. But first, I want to just give us a brief overview of the entirety of this psalm. The psalm is about a person. It uses the term man here, but it applies equally to men and women. It talks about a person who follows God specifically by applying God's word to their lives. First of all, we see in verse 1 that this person doesn't follow ungodly influences. It says, Blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. This person doesn't take their influence from the world or from ungodly things. But instead, in verse 2, we see this person devotes himself to God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is passionate about following God, and the primary means that this person uses to follow God is by taking God's word and applying it to his life. In verse 3, we see the outcome of applying God's word to this person's life. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. His life is fruitful. Now, we know from experience and from the rest of Scripture, this doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy, or that God was going to take away every single difficulty that we face. I know just looking out in this congregation this morning, I can point to a number of different people, even right now, who are experiencing significant difficulties in their life. It doesn't mean they're outside of God's will. It just means that we live in a fallen world where everything is not going to go exactly according to our plan. But we can trust that as we follow God, that he's going to work out these things in our lives to, to, to create some beautiful mosaic of our lives, to, to create character in us. And that if we invest our lives in God and in his word and in eternity, our lives will have an enduring quality of joy and peace and meaning that isn't available any other way. So this person, as they invest themselves in God's word and applying it, lives a fruitful life. But we see that, that contrasted with people who don't follow God in verses 4 and 5, that the wicked come to nothing. Wicked here is a, a, a metaphor or a, just a derogatory term, really, to speak about people who don't follow God. It says, not so the wicked. They aren't prosperous. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, we don't talk that much about chaff in most of our society today. But this society where Psalm 1 was written 
was an agrarian society. There were many, many farmers. And this is talking about the process of, of harvesting using wheat. You see, when you harvest wheat from a field, you, you, you have to wait for it to dry. Especially back in that time, they would harvest the wheat. They would wait for it to dry. And then they would, they would thresh the wheat on the ground. They would beat it hard on the ground. And this would begin to separate the, the little grain of wheat from the rest of the plant. The, the rest of the plant isn't needed. The husk, the holes around the seed or around the wheat there, those things aren't needed. They need to separate the kernel of wheat from the rest of the plant. So they beat it on the ground. And then they take something that's kind of like a pitchfork. You see in the picture there, they throw it up in the air in a windy spot. And the heavy kernel of wheat falls to the ground. And the rest of, uh, rest of it, called chaff, fly, flows away in the wind. And the psalmist says that's what it's like for people who don't value God's word, who don't apply God's word in their lives. They're like chaff that the wind is going to blow away. It says they won't stand in the judgment. It's talking about how when they stand before God, when this life is over, that rather than being invited into God's presence, they will ultimately be separated from God in hell. So the wicked come to nothing. And finally, in, in verse 6, we see the application of this passage of Psalm 1, that we really have a choice of two different paths. The psalmist says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That's one path, the way of the righteous that follows God and applies his word. But then there's a second path of the way of the wicked, which will perish. It calls to mind uh, Joshua 24, 15, which, where Joshua says, Choose for yourselves whom you will serve. And then he lists a bunch of uh, ways of the nations around them. He says, you can follow them if you want, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We have a choice. If you boil all, all down the two different paths, a path that follows God and applies his word, or a path that may give lip service to God, but ultimately follows our own way or the world's way. So that's a quick snapshot of Psalm 1, but I specifically want to focus today on verse 2 of this passage. Where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Because I believe this is really the crux or the focal point of the entire psalm. I want to really look at the two different phrases of, of verse 2. First of all, the part about delighting in the law of the Lord. Delighting in God's word. This idea of delighting is to find pleasure in something, to be thrilled about something, to be captivated by something, to enjoy something. To delight in something is to be happy about it, to savor it. But it, it's kind of shocking at times when we look here and see this word delight applied to God's word, to the law of the Lord. I mean, we know what it is to delight in other things in life, to delight in a nice chocolate dessert, or to delight in, if you like cars, in a, in a nicely restored 1960s muscle car. We may know what it's like to delight in the opportunity to curl up on a couch with your favorite book and a nice cup of coffee. You may know what it is to delight in a Packers victory over the Bears. There are a lot of things that we delight in, aren't there? But, but to delight in the law of the Lord, that's something that seems like a bit of an oxymoron. Well, how do we really delight in God's word? I find many people who really don't find any delight, any joy, any happiness in things that are related to God or to church or to Scripture. It's quite common they have conversations with people where they recount uh, bad experiences they had sometime earlier in life where they felt like religion got shoved down their throat by parents or by a church or by a school. And now 
even though they still see that, you know, God may be important, they really don't have any warm and fuzzy feelings towards God and the church. They really want little to nothing to do with God, the church, or Scripture. And even for the rest of us who, uh, for whom Scripture and God and church have positive connotations, I think it can still be challenging at times to really see God's Word as a source of delight on the same level of delight that we receive from chocolate or from a Packers victory or from something else. But the psalmist says here that his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? When we think about laws that we have in our land, I mean, do we really delight that the speed limit around Port Washington is 25 miles an hour? Do we really really delight that there is a law that says that when we go out on the highway that we have to follow a speed limit of 55 or 65 miles an hour? Do we really delight that there are laws that say that shoplifting is illegal? Now, I'm not saying that all of us want to go out and steal from stores, but are these really sources of delight? Do we really jump up and down and say, hooray, there are these laws out there? I mean, these laws are, are good. We probably acknowledge they're good for keeping the order of society and protecting us. But do these laws really bring us delight? So what does it mean when the psalmist uh, says that this person who says is blessed, who has God's stamp of approval, delights in the law of the Lord? I think we need to understand what, what this idea of the law of the Lord is all about. This law is the Hebrew word Torah. You may have heard of that word before as it relates to the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these first five books of the Bible are sometimes called the Torah. But when the psalmist refers here to delighting in the law of the Lord, the Torah of the Lord, he's not just talking about the first five books of the Bible. He's talking about Torah in its broader context, which is talking about general instructions that come from God in his word. It's, it's quite equivalent with saying delight in, in God's word, delight in the law of the Lord. Because the, this book contains teaching from God that leads to life. And that is a reason to delight in God's word. I think of Psalm 119, verse 105 uh, is a reason to delight in God's word, where it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. We can delight in God's word because it shows us a path that we ought to follow in life, that, can, that keeps us from stumbling, that keeps us from going in, 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 in bad directions that are going to lead to regret or shame later on. God's word can be a lamp and a light that leads us in a good path. I think of Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus says, that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That just as, as food is our physical sustenance and nourishment, so is God's word spiritual sustenance and nourishment that can carry us through life. And that is a reason to delight in God's word. I think of Second Timothy chapter 3, where Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says there that, that Scripture is useful for guiding us so that we may be equipped to do God's will in our lives, thoroughly equipped. These are reasons for rejoicing in God's Word. And I think also of John chapter 6, 
where Jesus was going along in his ministry, he had a large crowd following him, and all of a sudden, Jesus said some things that were kind of hard for the crowd to digest. So a bunch of the people who had been following Jesus turned away and went back home. They said, Jesus, this is too hard. We don't want to associate with this anymore. Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them, well, do you all want to leave me too? And Peter responded saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It may not be always easy to follow you, but there's nowhere else that we can go to find true life, both here and after we die. And I think that's parallel with what we have right here, that these, this scripture contains the words of eternal life. If we take this scripture and apply it to our lives, we will live a fruitful life of meaning and purpose and security. A life that God intends us to live because this word contains the words of eternal life. Where else do we go for this? I mean, many of us uh, like history books. You, know, you read history, whether about World War II, Civil War, whatever. Well, the Bible is the ultimate history book telling us the history of what God has done in history, in human history. Many of us like uh, to read or to watch about love stories or to hear love stories. Well, the Bible is the ultimate love story. How God, we turned away from God. We rejected him. Yet he continued throughout the centuries to pursue us. Ultimately demonstrated his love by sending Christ to die for us. So that we could be restored to a loving, whole relationship with God. The Bible is the ultimate love story. Many of us love movies or books or stories that talk about drama and about adventure and about action. Well, if you like these things, the Bible has those in plenty. Many of us value reading things that talk about truth, what is true about the world around us, whether it's things coming out of science or things coming out of um, other realms of knowledge. Well, the Bible is our source of ultimate truth to guide us in what we should do and what we should believe. These are many reasons to delight in God's word. And the psalmist says here, not only is this guy's delight in the law of the Lord, but because he delights in it, he meditates on the word of God day and night. To meditate on something means to continuously think about it. To think about it day and night for there to be no break in thinking about the word of God. Many times when we think about meditating on something, uh, we think about some new agey spiritual thing where you sit here in some strange position or you do some strange thing with beads or something like that and you try to empty your mind. You try to find inner tranquility or hear your inner voice. That's not what meditation is, biblically speaking. In, in meditating on the Bible, you aren't trying to empty your mind of everything. Instead, you're trying to fill your mind with the Word of God. In, in, in the Hebrew language, which is what Psalm 1 was originally written in, this word for meditate literally means to speak or to mutter. Basically, it's like talking to yourself. And so when we meditate on Scripture, we're talking to ourselves about Scripture. And we're allowing Scripture to speak to our hearts. We're turning it over and over in our minds. And we're told to do this day and night at all times. Turn Scripture over and over and over in your mind. Many people have, have uh, created a parallel between meditating on Scripture and how a cow chews the cud. Now, this is another farming type of analogy. Uh, some of us may be familiar with this. Some of us not so much. 
But let me explain the process by which a cow eats and digests its food. See, a cow has multiple stomachs, and its stomachs and its digestive tract are created in such a way that it can't just simply chew up food one time and then swallow it and allow it to be digested just fine. For a cow to digest its food, it, it, it chews the food, whether it, we'll just use grass as an analogy or an illustration here. It chews up the grass uh, just enough to be able to swallow it so it goes into the cow's first stomach. But there aren't enough enzymes in that first stomach to completely break down the grass. So the, through the course of the day, it's kind of gross, but this is what a cow does. The cow regurgitates the grass back into its mouth and keeps chewing on it. When you look out into a pasture with, with cows during the day, odds are good you'll see the majority of the cows out there just chomping on that grass. It's called chewing the cud, where the cow regurgitates that food, chews on it, a recent study showed that, that a lot of cows chew 30,000 times a day on the food that they eat. 30,000 times a day. And this is incredibly important for the cows because if they don't do this, they will get sick. If they're milk cows, they won't produce much milk. Uh, it could really damage their, their, their digestive tract. They could even die if they don't chew the cud. There's a powerful spiritual parallel here that for us to really have spiritual life and vitality, we must chew on God's word. We must ingest it, but not just read it and then forget about it or read it and store, away, store it away, but we have to read it and then call it back to mind day and night, continuously over and over and over. This is what it means to meditate in God's Word. You can't just meditate in God's Word by setting aside time in the morning to read God's Word and then to forget about it for the rest of the day. Meditating in God's Word is, is not just what takes place the one time you read Scripture. It's what takes place as you recall it to your mind over and over and over in the same way the cow chews the cud. Now, when we look at our lives, we naturally do this with a lot of different aspects of our lives. If you have some conversation with someone at work or at home, whether it's a really good conversation or a really bad conversation, odds are good that at some point you're kind of playing this conversation over in your mind again. You're chewing on it. You're meditating on it. You're looking at it from different angles. You're thinking, what if I did this? What if I would have done that? Or perhaps you saw some amazing play in a sports game or something where it really came down to the wire. You keep playing that in your mind over and over and over. This is what we do naturally in life. We meditate on things naturally because we bring them up over and over and over and keep thinking about them. Shelley and I, um, I, I see a practical application or illustration of this even in our own lives. This is a little bit of a side note, but I'm going to draw it back. You'll see where it's going in a minute. Um, we got great news this week about our adoption process. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about how uh, we were officially logged into the system in China uh, for adoption, so now we were able to uh, qualified to receive a referral, which means being paired with a child. Well, late on Monday night, we got a call uh, offering us a child. You know, we were sent a file with a picture and, and some information about this child, and we said yes. And so now we're officially paired with a child. We have a picture we can show you if you want to see it sometime. Um, and it, it's very exciting. We'll probably be traveling to China sometime early 2013, sometime maybe between January and March or so. But it's all, there are many variables. There are still 11 steps we have to go through before we travel. But it's very exciting. And, and, and I, as I was thinking about this topic of meditation, I realized how much during this week I have thought 
about our daughter in China and about the details that we know about her. See, I kept replaying over and over in my mind details about her. And I really only read uh, the, the information we had on her just a couple times. The last time I even picked up the papers that contained her information was on Tuesday. But I can tell you almost every detail that is possible for us to know at this point because I read it, but then I've played it over and over in my mind and I've talked with people about it. I've meditated on it. Last night I was meditating on it, on it so much that I was uh, filling glasses of water uh, for dinner. Uh, sitting there by our refrigerator and we have a picture of her on our refrigerator right in front of me. I was just looking at that picture, just thinking about her, and all of a sudden I felt my hand getting very wet. Because I completely forgot that I was filling the glass with water. But I was meditating on, on thoughts about our future daughter in China. But that's what it's like when you're meditating on something, that you bring it up over and over and over. We do this in all kinds of ways in our life, and we're called to do it with Scripture as well. I think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them. Remember, this is talking about God's word, God's commandments, God's instruction that he gives us. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's telling us in everything we do, think about the Word of God, turn it over and over and over in our minds, and also talk about it with others. Because as we do this, just as I learned this week uh, with our daughter in China, you will begin to internalize it and remember it throughout the day. This is what we are called to do in our lives. Now, in closing today, I want to give us a few practical tips for how we can meditate on God's Word. Now, the first one, which may seem kind of obvious, but I don't want to assume it at all. The first tip is to find a Bible that works well for you. Find a Bible that works well for you. Different Bibles speak to different people in different ways. There are different translations out there, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. My encouragement to you is to find a Bible that makes sense to you as you read it. Oftentimes, when I'm recommending Bibles to people, if they haven't read the Bible much before, I don't recommend the King James Version. I mean, the King James Version is, is good for people who are accustomed to that language, but it's kind of an older type of language, outdated language that we don't use that much in today's culture. So it's, it's, I found that to be a barrier for some people as they want to read Scripture, but they're reading in a language they really don't understand anymore. I oftentimes also recommend for people who are just starting out reading Scripture, get a study Bible. A study Bible is usually one of those thicker Bibles that has notes in it that explains what's being talked about in Scripture. So that way, when you have questions, you can find immediate answers. But I encourage us to find a Bible that works well for us, that we can understand. Because if we want to meditate on Scripture, it's going to mean that the Bible becomes a good friend and a trusted companion of ours. I mean, you can see my Bible. It's, um, it's been well used. It's held together by tape. I want to encourage you to find a Bible, too, that you like and that works well for you. Because that's going to be one of the first keys. Because you're going to be spending some time in Scripture if you're going to meditate on it. The second step in the process is to ask God to help you delight in His Word. 
Now, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us will say, you know, I know I should delight in God's word, but I really don't. At least not as much as I delight in things like chocolate or in Packers games or in in spending time with my children or my family. It's all right to be honest about that. I I have a feeling that even the psalmist who's writing this right here had times where he or she did not delight in God's word fully. Rather than trying to cover that up, we need to be honest with ourselves, with God, with others, saying, you know what, God, I don't delight in your word as much as I should. Please help me delight in your word more. That's a prayer that God delights in answering. So pray that God will help us delight in his word. Now, the third step is to find a place in your day to take the first bite of Scripture. This first bite goes back to this idea of chewing the cud. When you see cows eating, they are not moving while they eat. I mean, they stop one place, bend their heads down, and take some big mouthfuls of grass. In our society, we are, we are moving so quickly. We're go, 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 go. We do everything on the fly. That is not a recipe for being able to meditate on God's word. We need to find some time in our day, preferably earlier in the day, that we set aside to take that first bite of God's word. Because you think about the cow. If he doesn't take that first bite, he doesn't have anything to chew on through the course of the rest of the day. Same for us. If we don't find a time in our day to read scripture earlier in the day probably, we aren't going to have anything to chew on for the rest of the day. So set aside some time in our day, or preferably early, to read scripture, even just for five or ten minutes starting out. And the fourth way, our fourth way to begin to meditate in God's word is to find a way to memorize it. Now, you may be thinking at this point, okay, it's hard enough for me to find just a few minutes to read scripture. How in the world do you expect me to memorize scripture? I know that's going through the minds of many of us here today uh, because I've had conversations like this, and that's one of the first things that comes to people's mind. It's, you know, I can read it, but I've tried, and I cannot memorize scripture. But I want to challenge us to find a way to memorize scripture. Because if we don't have something inside of us, if, we don't, uh, if it's not in our minds, there's no way we're going to be able to recall it back there to think about it and meditate on it later on. We have to get it there in the first place. And one of the best ways to meditate on scripture is to begin by memorizing it so that we can recall it to mind throughout the course of the day. Let me give you a couple of practical ways uh, to memorize scripture, a couple of strategies. One is a scripture memory program. There are many scripture memory programs out there. Uh, but there's one program I've been doing for probably seven or eight years or so. I'm not going to say it, it's, it doesn't require any discipline because it does. But the program that I use um, requires me to, um, I choose a verse of scripture I want to memorize. And then I recite that verse once a day for seven weeks. And then once I finish that, then it transitions to a different part of a chart that I follow. And then I say it once a week for seven months. And by the end of that seven months, it is ingrained in my mind. I find if I just try to memorize it for a few days or a few weeks at a time, I end up forgetting it before long. But if we can do it over a longer period of time, we'll remember it. And I said I've been doing this for seven or eight years. A friend introduced this to me, and it has changed my life. I have little boxes I check each day. I mean, this, if, if you ever wonder how does Brandon know Scripture, this is it. I mean, a lot of people... Um, say, well, wow, you just know a lot of scripture. 
they, they, they think it was through seminary they learned a lot of Scripture. Or because I'm a pastor, somehow I magically download the Scripture. But you have to understand that the way you learn Scripture is the way you learn anything else. It's through work and through perseverance. It's not like I have some special gift that allows me to automatically know Scripture just because I'm a pastor or something like that. It's through the course of years and years of reading Scripture on a daily basis and working at memorizing Scripture. That's how you get to know it. I mean, we all know, contrary to what some children think, you can't just lay a book or a Bible under your pillow and, and, and absorb it through osmosis. It takes some work. But it's worth it. Because I'll say for me, memorizing Scripture has transformed my life and my walk with God and my confidence in what God says in His Word. Now, another practical step that you can take if you don't want to use that type of program, uh, there's a website called fighterverses.com. Fighterverses.com is a ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minneapolis. Um, You can uh, go check out that website. It offers a variety of different ways to um, memorize Scripture. It's a Scripture memory plan. You can buy note cards that that are pre-printed with Scriptures, uh, where it's one a week uh, for... um, well, for several years. You can buy these note cards. You can look at the scriptures online. Or you can even download a special app for your phone that will have these scriptures sent to you every week so that you can look at them um, on a regular basis to begin to memorize them. These are a couple of practical ways to begin to memorize scripture. And I firmly believe that if we want to be able to meditate on scripture on a regular basis, we need to hide that scripture in our heart to me- memorize it. Okay. I could, I could share some illustrations from my own life of times where Scripture comes to mind and is very applicable in, in times where I need motivation or in times where I need to serve in my home a little bit more. Scripture that I've memorized is incredibly helpful for motivating me in those times. Now, you may still be thinking in your mind, okay, how in the world will I have time to memorize Scripture? I don't have any free time in my day to do that. Well, let me ask you a series of questions. How much time do you spend on Facebook each day? I will bet that there are many of us here who spend upwards of 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour plus on Facebook every day. How much time do you spend with your cell phone every day? Texting, surfing the web, playing games? How much time do you spend on your kids' extracurricular activities? Activities that are optional, games, rehearsals, practices, plays. Things that are good, but things that are still optional. How much time do you spend on hobbies? Whether it's exercising, or card making, or golfing, or gardening, or or work around the house, or volunteering. How much time do you spend reading various forms of media, like the newspaper, or magazines, or websites, or blogs? How much time do you spend watching TV, or playing video games? We could probably go on for a while, couldn't we? Are you telling me that you could not find five minutes somewhere in your day to memorize Scripture? All it takes, I I think that if you devote five minutes a day to memorizing Scripture, you would be able to memorize an astounding amount of Scripture over the course of a year or so. All it takes is five minutes a day. All it takes is a reorienting of priorities just a little bit to begin getting Scripture into our lives more and more. You sometimes hear kids say when it comes to be mealtime, Mom, Dad, I'm not hungry right now. And the reason why kids aren't hungry 
is because they've eaten junk food all day leading up to that point. And it's true they aren't hungry, but they've been filling themselves with junk food which doesn't have any real nutritional value. It's the same way in our lives where oftentimes it is true when we say, you know, I just don't really have time. But the reason is because we fill our schedules with just filler stuff, things that don't really lead to anything worthwhile in life. So we need to reprioritize our schedules to make time for the things that are most important. This may mean saying no to things. One of the things I say no to whenever I'm asked now is fantasy football. I found from experience a few years ago that I get so wrapped up in, up in fantasy football, it takes so much of my time that it's not worth it. I enjoy it thoroughly, but it captivates my attention and takes my attention away from other things that matter much more. There are other things I've said no to as well. We all have to know what to say no to so that we can say yes to the things that really matter. So I want to challenge us to apply these four steps to our lives, including step number four of memorizing Scripture. Because it doesn't take that much time, at least on the initial part of it, but that way, if we begin to meditate on Scripture, begin to memorize it, we'll turn it over in our minds over and over and over. And if we can apply these things to our lives of daily reading Scripture and memorizing it and meditating on it, I think we will be astounded on where we are in six months or a year or ten years. You'll be in a place that, that you never imagined, but it requires some degree, a degree of diligence in meditating on Scripture. I want to close this by reading Psalm 1 again, just reminding us of, of these truths of what happens when we meditate on Scripture. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May we be people who follow God by taking his word, not just saying we value it, but reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, and applying it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and that you've given us an example in the Psalms and in other parts of Scripture of what it means to value your word, to meditate on it, and to apply it. God, we confess that it's far easier for us to delight in so many other things besides your word. God, sometimes your word feels dry, Sometimes we get easily distracted from it. Sometimes we really don't even feel like opening your word. But I pray that you will renew our, our passion for scripture, Lord. Give us the discipline and the diligence we need to reprioritize our schedules so that we can devote ourselves more faithfully to scripture. Not just to saying that scripture is important to us, but to really living out the value that we say that scripture has. We pray that, that you will help us to apply these things and that in the weeks and months to come that we will be in awe of you and in awe of what you're doing in our lives as Scripture sinks into us more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.